It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Hey, this is Eric. This is episode number 89 in my series entitled Spiritual Lessons from World War II. We are currently walking through the summer months of 1945. Hitler is defeated, but why doesn't Winston Churchill have a good feeling about all that is unfolding? It's because he sees Joseph Stalin and Soviet Russia stepping into the bad guy role in Europe mm-hmm, to fill the vacancy that Adolf Hitler's passing has left. He sees an iron curtain of communism being sown that will soon veil the eastern half of Europe in darkness. If you would like to hear the other episodes in this series on World War II, just visit ellersley.com forward slash daily. Last week, we sort of did a review of some of the three key moments in World War II that I felt were imperative to just bring up again. We went through Dunkirk, we went through Pearl Harbor, and we went through Midway, uh, just because they're so telling of, of some of their parallels for many of the things that we are dealing with today as the church facing a very growing evil and a very growing menace. And uh, I, I can't say that there really has been any message that we've given in these 88 previous that haven't been ironically uh, uh, perfectly suited to the times in which we live. It's just been shocking to me. And the more I study World War II, uh, that's exactly what I feel. It's a growing menace. It's a growing evil. And good men want to sit on their thumbs and do nothing because they they prefer ease. They prefer comfort. Will it just go away? If I close my eyes, will the evil just disappear? And as a result, evil has grown large, and that's what we see in World War II with Nazism and Hitler. And so I think this is sort of a, it's like almost like a painful message to give this particular one. And, and you've seen me hint at this over as we've gone through uh, the year of 1945, and that's where we're at again. We're in June slash July of 1945. The war is going to come to an end in August, so we are right near the very end of the war. I only have a few messages left that I felt uh, I wanted to give to sort of summarize this, but there are so many lessons in this. If this is spiritual lessons from World War II, there's a lesson in this that ironically is not that different from the lesson that we were learning in the 1930s, and now here we are in 1945 about to learn the same lesson in 2020. It is a lesson we must learn. So this is sewing an iron curtain. For, for those of us that are uh, of the grayish hair variety, uh, the iron curtain is a very familiar concept. We grew up with it. And uh, this is the, the division, the political uh, social division that is going to take place between the communist realm in uh, Europe uh, and uh, in Asia and the Western world, and this is the beginnings of it, and we've been actually studying the beginnings of it, which is World War II, and ironically, the beginnings of that are World War I, and so all of these things, that one gunshot from Gavriel Princip uh, to start World War I is literally going to lead to now a Cold War, and the amount of travesty that is going to take place because of this Cold War is so immense. The evil regime of communism uh, over Soviet Russia and of Eastern Europe and China and all these things that are going to spread is just so wicked, so diabolically evil. And I, I guess part of the thing that I'm struggling with is I'm seeing the same ideology today, this communistic idea, actually creep into our country 
in the same way it was creeping into Europe in this exact time period. And so it's a very uh, ironic overlay of uh, past events with modern uh, day events. <clears throat> Sewing an iron curtain. So this is, I'm going to hearken back to certain things that I gave in episode one of this entire series, which is interesting, just to parallel episode one with almost the very end here. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt is going to ask uh, a question to a general uh, group of leaders, world leaders, and this is before he's going to pass away in April, obviously, uh, of this year in 1945. And he says, gentlemen, what should we name this war? And Churchill, without hesitation, yells out, the unnecessary war. How many wars have we had in our life that are just simply unnecessary? And the reason we end up participating in these wars is because we did nothing when we should have stood up. And as a result, there's an encroachment upon our life and we end up in a turmoil that actually was an unnecessary turmoil. There are necessary turmoils in our life. There are necessary difficulties and challenges. However, there are ones that we should avoid. Uh, we could look at how many marriages have fallen apart. It's not like God's plan that their marriage falls apart. It was a turmoil that was a result of selfishness, slovenly behavior, immorality, giving way to self's rule. And as a result, it becomes an unnecessary war. And that's what we see. World War II is an unnecessary war. We could have stopped it so many times. And that's the beginnings of this series. I'm actually walking through that. That the beginnings of this war, Churchill sees something. He sees this growing menace. He's like, guys, we need to stop this. Uh, guys, we need to stop this. Hey, guys, we need to stop this. And Churchill is called a hate monger, a war monger. Because he's saying we have to stop this. But no one in, in Europe wants war. They just got it done with World War I. They, they've had, what, a 20-year break? Give us some time. I don't want to go back to war. That was the war to end all wars. And as a result, we end up with a greater war than anyone has ever seen. Proverbs 26.11. As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. So this is one of those scriptures that for whatever reason we all seem to catch on to when we're growing up. I'm not sure how it slips into our psyche, but it's there and we, we all know it. I don't know if it's a parental thing, you know, where the parents are like, hey. But as a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Ironically, uh, I had a dog throw up this morning and then go back to his vomit. That's the, that's the irony of this. And I was like, you know what, I'm giving a message on that this morning. So uh, it is a, a reality. This is how dogs uh, function, and this is how they work. And ironically, this is how we work. We have a folly that we have perpetrated in this country multiple times, and we find ourselves going right back to it. You see, there's a craven desire for ease and comfort. I want life on my terms the way it's always been. Can't I just have it the way it's always been? But sometimes you have to rise up and you have to go to war. You have to go to fight for life. And as a result, what we have is a tension where we really don't want to have to fight for anything. We just want it. And as a result, we will lose it unless we are willing to get out of our comfort zone and head off to war. Now, the kind of war I'm talking about is a spiritual war. But it gets us out of our comfort zone and it is extremely mm, hard. It is hard labor to wrestle for spiritual realities. 
Winston Churchill, this is way back in the early part of his memoirs. So he is setting a foundation for his entire memoirs, which that's sort of what I've gone through. These 89 episodes have been, in a sense, chronologically in agreement with his uh, memoirs. So I'm going out of that chronology, going back to an old Winston Churchill quote. I have a couple of them. He's talking about this period of time right before World War II. This was one of those awful periods which recur in our history. When the noble British nation seems to fall from its highest state, loses all trace of sense or purpose, and appears to cower from the menace of foreign peril, frothing pious platitudes while foemen forge their arms. Frothing pious platitudes. Is that an incredible statement of what we hear today? Everyone has these pious platitudes of why they believe this is a better way. Meanwhile, foemen are forging their arms. This is a tactical maneuver against truth, against justice, against righteousness. I see it. It's not a political thing. This is a spiritual thing first and foremost. It is an attack on everything that is Jesus. Everything that he represents must be torn down. This is an evil, malevolent work. Edmund Burke, famous quote, and I started out this series with it, so I figure near the end of it we might as well just get a fresh reminder. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. The only, I mean, we could, I could pave the path for you. I could show you the secret method for evil to win in this world because evil has actually no ability to win. It's defeated unless the church does nothing. If the church sits on its thumbs, evil will come strolling back in with full power. In fact, maybe with even greater power. That's one of the things that Jesus teaches us. In other words, you could kick them out, but if you don't make sure you safeguard that house from a return, he comes back and he brings his buddies with him. Winston Churchill, this is again one of those early quotes. He's giving the reason why he is writing his memoirs. Okay, listen to this. It is my purpose, as one who lived and acted in these days, first to show how easily the tragedy of the Second World War could have been prevented, how the malice of the wicked was reinforced by the weakness of the virtuous. Let me read that again. How the malice of the wicked was reinforced by the weakness of the virtuous. We shall see how the counsels of prudence and restraint may become the prime agents of mortal danger. How the middle course adopted from desires for safety and a quiet life may be found to lead direct to the bullseye of disaster. I'm going to lift out that final little statement. Desires for safety and a quiet life may be found to lead direct to the bullseye of disaster. Okay, let's just all be honest. We all prefer safety and a quiet life. It's human. Okay, so I don't, I don't want to make anyone feel bad because we have that natural inclination. The problem is there comes a time when there is something more important than our safety and our quiet life. Sure, we crave it. We desire it. God, in a sense, made us for it. But he also made us to stand for something greater. There is a greater purpose that we are here than safety and a quiet life. We are here to bear witness of his name, of his glory. And as a result, there are times when that means we must forsake safety and a quiet life in order to stand for Jesus Christ. And so when we choose that middle ground in between, it's like, well, I'm not with the enemy, 
Well, yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm not really wanting to stop them either. I don't want to you know, give up my safety in a quiet life. We try and create this middle ground of appeasement. Can't we just live at peace with all this nonsense around us? The nonsense around us is aggressive. And it will take every bit of ground that we do not stand firm to defend. Truth is evaporating in the church and in this culture right before my eyes. I don't know if it's before your eyes too, but I'm watching it. It's like everything that we know to be true. I have written 12 books on sexuality. Right now that is moving towards hate crime speech that I have spoken in the past. Okay, now I'll speak it afresh today if anyone wants to hear it too. There are only two genders because God created it that way. And I will continue to stand on the word of truth and I'm not backing down on that. However, Eric desires quiet and, a, and a, what safety and a quiet life as well as anyone else. But there comes a time when good men must rise up and do what good men should do. And that is stand against evil. So our word Gregorio uh, comes from the Greek. Uh, it is typically going to be translated as watchful. Watch. To watch is what it means. To give strict attention to one's position. To be cautious regarding your foe. To stay awake and alert lest through passivity and slumber calamity doesn't suddenly spring up and bring destruction. If you're a watchman on a wall, you cannot forsake your Gregorio. Gregorio is the essence of safety. And as a result, we live in a culture where sometimes we just presume someone else is watching. You ever had that thought? I remember growing up and realizing that Christian books were actually not being reviewed by a whole bunch of gray-headed scholars and theologians. It was a weird moment for me. That Christian music had no filter, that there was no one actually filtering it saying, hey, this actually is false doctrine in here. Whoa, that's bad theology. I assumed that there was some system out there that was governing these things. It was a weird moment when I awakened to the fact that there is no such system. I am technically supposed to be that system, but I don't know anything. How am I supposed to deal with that? You could call something Christian all day long, but who's defining that anymore? And as a result, I begin to realize we don't have the guard up anymore. Whoa, that means anything can come in. And yes, anything will come in to that. The devil is very sharp, very smart. He knows how to win battles. We need to recognize that we are very young in light of Earth's history. So just imagine we round up to 6,000 years of Earth's history. The devil has been duping, bewitching, and befuddling the saints of God for 6,000 years. We pop onto the scene and we're young. We don't understand how this works, which is why we must go back to God, who is a lot wiser than the devil, and trust his ways and his word. But if we go on our own, and our own merits, and our own wisdom, and our own wit, and what we think is best, we're goners. It's that simple. Gregorio. So here's our word Gregorio used by Jesus Christ in Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray. Lest you enter into temptation, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So that's the Garden of Gethsemane. And, God, and Jesus is given a statement of fact here. In other words, you see this time of great darkness that is coming upon. So watch and pray. There's two things that need to be taking place in our soul. You see, there is a temptation that is going to bait us. I, I could very quickly describe what that is, and that is think of you right now. Come on. 
this is someone else's battle out there. I'm sure there's someone else out there that is ready to fight this battle, and they're doing a good job. They've rolled up their sleeves, and they're getting at it. You, on the other hand, just need to consider yourself, your marriage, your family, your estate, your 401k plan. You need to think of you right now. That's the bait that we have. So watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, watch, there's our Gregorio word, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Peter the Apostle, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, there's our word for Gregorio again, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So I'm going to go through three truths that I actually said in the very beginning of this series, and I'm going to repeat them now because it's extremely fascinating looking at what's happened in our world throughout the time that I've even given this series, which is basically to cover COVID-19. I started in February. I mean, who would have ever guessed that I would be giving a series on World War II during the weirdest season I've ever gone through in my life? Key truth number one, a great victory can be gained only to be lost. Now, what you're going to see is World War I is a great victory, and it was gained, and it was lost. How did they lose it? Well, that's, that's, what this, that's what my beginning of this series is about. They forsook a strength position. Well, that's exactly what we as Christians have done. There's a great victory gained, and yet we can lose the merits and the efficacy of it by not exercising it, by not keeping it, by not being watchful. Key truth number two, though defeated, an enemy left unwatched is an enemy that can regain strength. Key truth number three, when Gregorio is absent, the enemy will take back what he deems lost territory. When you're not watchful, the enemy will say, that's, that's my territory, I want it back. And now what's interesting is I went through a, a series on Sundays called The Spiritual Biography of a Nation, which is based on that exact premise. This territory, the enemy had it. It was his. It was ruled by darkness, lawlessness, murder, fear, deception, ruled here. And then it got kicked out. And then we lost our watchfulness. Things are happening in this country that are so opposite the very fabric of what this country has been over the past 400 years. Something has shifted so dramatically, and we're like, what happened? Well, it didn't happen overnight. And as a result, because of this craving that we oftentimes struggle with, this temptation towards our own safety and our own comforts, we have allowed things to continue to grow around us that are not growing smaller, they're only growing larger. So Jesus is going to talk about this idea of kicking something out and having something even worse come back in, in Matthew 12, 43 through 45. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man... He goes through dry places, seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. So it shall be with this wicked generation. Wow. <clears throat> so we had talked about a dog returning to his vomit. And we always think, who would do that? Why would you actually return to something that you've already decided is bad news? Like, at the end of the 30s, everyone in Great Britain recognizes that they have really blown it. That they allowed, they were passive with this 
evil known as Hitler. They didn't do anything. They believed his lies. They wanted to believe. I mean, he just assured them all, you know, up one side and down the other. Hey, I have no interest in taking territory. I just wanted to stick my, my troops uh, in the Rhineland, okay? You know, it's just, it's only fair, right, to do that. So he sticks millions of troops in the Rhineland, you know, right against Belgium, Holland, and France. It's like, hmm, can you sniff a rat out yet? Oh, no, 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 appeasement, appeasement. Oh, we're not going to do anything, even though it's against the Treaty of Versailles. He's not allowed to do that, but they do nothing. Then he seizes Austria. Well, you know, look, you know, it was a bad thing to do, but, you know, we understand he's, you know, after World War I, they lost territory. They're just trying to get some of their territory back. Okay, we're going to appease, appease, because we really don't want war. We want safety and a comfortable life back in Great Britain. And let's just close our eyes and hope it all goes away. So he takes the Sudetenland, then he takes Czechoslovakia. So at what point do you finally wake up and say, all right, this guy is evil, he has evil intent, and he wants the whole world, and he's not going to stop until he gets it. You see, the devil that is out there at large is exactly like that. And if we play passive, he takes territory. He takes souls. He'll crush the church of Jesus Christ if we don't rise up with our military instruments, the weapons of our warfare that are not carnal, but are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds until we start wielding what we have, the devil is going to continue to take territory. So let's look at this, uh, the vomit. That which we said we would never return to because it's the fool's errand right there. I mean, we're not gonna believe another Hitler. June, July, 1945, What's the vomit? It's actually the desire for safety and a quiet life. The same thing that was baiting them at the, at the, before World War II started. It's like, could this just go away? You see, there is an evil that is encroaching upon Europe. Stalin has made it very clear. You know, he doesn't want any territory. This is how World War II started. When they entered into a compact of, of the, the big three of Great Britain, America, and uh, Soviet Russia, Stalin made it very clear. Look, I, I don't want any of these territories, so we'll, take, we'll get the Germans out and we'll give them back to the people that originally had them. That, it's, it's recorded. It's, it's clear. And yet once Stalin gets the territory as he's kicking out the Nazis, suddenly he starts to close out and kick everyone else out so they can't see how they're handling it. Oh, we'll give free elections. These are not free elections. He is going to eliminate all of his opposition. And this whole territory is suddenly going to go dark Winston Churchill sees this. Same way he saw Hitler, he sees this evil. The problem is his great ally, Roosevelt, just died in April. And now he has Truman, and Truman doesn't know anything. So he has all his advisors telling him what to do because Roosevelt did not include him in his foreign affairs. So as a result, Truman is in the dark. This is about the worst possible setup I could imagine, and we have vomit right there. I don't blame them. Great Britain, all the soldiers, the families want their soldiers back. Look, we did what we set out to do. We defeated Hitler. We defeated Hitler. What else do we need to do? And Churchill's like, we have a greater menace right there. It's actually more powerful than Hitler. I mean, could you imagine what that would be like and how everyone would be like, boo. <laughs> He's the warmonger again, the hate monger. Always finds an evil guy out there that he needs to fight. And yet, 
the same thing that Great Britain did, the same thing that America did. To go into hiding, to suck their thumb, to say, no, 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 I don't hear anything, is exactly what they're doing in June and July of 1945. And guess who is the voice crying in the wilderness? Winston Churchill. He once again is saying, guys, I know you're so excited about this victory in Europe, and, you know, and I know we're going to take down the Japanese, but we have a problem. And everyone sticks their fingers in their ears and goes, no, 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 I don't hear anything, I don't hear anything. They are set to withdraw their troops on July 1st to draw out the troops from Europe, to bring them home. And guess what that leaves available to uh, Stalin? Uh, Undefended Europe, because Hitler's gone. They have no power, and so now you have issues. So Hitler, sorry, Churchill is sensing this return to vomit. July 15th, 1945. We're gonna call it the closing window. Churchill is gonna describe a window of time when we can actually still change the history of nations. And we need to rise up now before we draw out our troops. So he appeals to Truman over and over and over again to say, could we meet? And Truman says, we can meet on July 15th. And so Churchill says, could we meet earlier? We have decisions that are hanging in the balance. We're gonna draw out our troops in early July. We need to meet now. And Truman says, no. Uh, we can't meet. That's the earliest time I can meet. Churchill is in the midst of a re-election campaign, and he says, I don't even have time to do it, but I know how important this is. And so he literally, over and over again, is going to appeal to Truman to meet on this so that they can discuss this. Truman will not meet without the Soviets involved. He doesn't want to offend them. He doesn't want to have them feel like we're ganging up on them, is is what he said. And Churchill is just like, ganging up? (laughs) We've been partners in this the whole time. We both ideologically know how dangerous communism is. Ganging up, so you could just sort of feel the the tensions here. So I'm going to walk through, this is right near the end of Churchill's memoirs, okay? And you're going to feel this tension inside of Churchill, the same one. It's interesting because this is how he's going to start the book, and then four books later, long books later, he is going to come to this same realization that what they just destroyed and what they just spent six years struggling to fight has now gotten worse, and we're turning our back on it again. Apprehension for the future and many perplexities filled my mind as I moved about among the cheering crowds of Londoners in their hour of well-won rejoicing after all they had gone through. The Hitler peril with its ordeals and privations seemed to most of them to have vanished in a blaze of glory. The tremendous foe they had fought for more than five years had surrendered unconditionally. All that remained for the three victorious powers was to make a just and durable peace, guarded by a world instrument to bring the soldiers home to their longing loved ones and to enter upon a golden age of prosperity and progress. No more, and surely thought their peoples no less. However, there was another side to the picture. Japan was still unconquered. The atomic bomb was still unborn. The world was in confusion. The main bond of common danger, which had united the great allies, had vanished overnight. I'm going to read that last line again. The main bond of common danger, which had united the great allies, had vanished overnight. Now they had no bond. There was no bond between them. They had all bonded together. I mean, how does Great Britain bond with Soviet Russia? And many of us in history look back, we're like, they were, 
Stalin was an ally? I know, it's strange, but that's because of Hitler. But once Hitler was removed, there was no bonding agent between all of them. The Soviet menace to my eyes had already replaced the Nazi foe. But no comradeship against it existed. At home, the foundations of national unity upon which the wartime government had stood so firmly were also gone. They had such unity in Great Britain as long as they were fighting Hitler. But once Hitler was gone, now, the uni- now everyone started barking at each other again. They lost their unity of a nation. They lost the unity of the big three powers. You were, Hitler was sort of a gift in a strange way because it helped bond everyone against a common evil. Our strength, which had overcome so many storms, would no longer continue in the sunshine. Okay, I'm going to read it again. This is like one of the most profound little uh, parts of his entire memoirs. Our strength, which had overcome so many storms, would no longer continue in the sunshine. How then could we reach that final settlement which alone could reward the toils and sufferings of the struggle? I could not rid my mind of the fear that the victorious armies of democracy would soon disperse and that the real and hardest test still lay before us. I had seen it all before. So this is a cable from Winston Churchill to President Truman on June 4th, 1945. Now remember, he really wants to move up this date to meet because he sees what is happening. I am sure you understand the reason why I'm anxious for an earlier date, say the 3rd or 4th of July. I view with profound misgivings the retreat of the American army to our line of occupation in the central sector, thus bringing Soviet power into the heart of Western Europe and the descent of an iron curtain, now you know where the term comes from, between us and everything to the eastward. I hope that this retreat, if it has to be made, would be accompanied by the settlement of many great things which would be the true foundation of world peace. Nothing really important has been settled yet, and you and I will have to bear great responsibility for the future. I still hope, therefore, that the date will be advanced. Please, we need to talk about this. There's something so weighty here that we're going to be responsible before all of history for how we handle this. What are we going to do? Truman would not budge. On July 1, the United States and and British armies began their withdrawal to their allotted zones, followed by by masses of refugees. Soviet Russia was established in the heart of Europe. This was a fateful milestone for mankind. So it's sort of disturbing, I know. I mean, here we should be finishing World War II with this triumphant shout. Well, most of the world has that right now. That's what's interesting about this is the guy that is right smack in the middle that has always been sort of the odd man out. And I don't know if I have a bond with Winston Churchill. I, I'm sure you guys have figured that out somewhere along the line. Uh, have I mentioned that my middle name is Winston? Okay. I just wanted to see if you guys have heard that before. But this guy is going to be the outsider in the 30s. He's going to be the pain in the neck in Parliament who keeps bringing up Hitler. The people are going to cry out when Neville Chamberlain is exposed to be wrong about Hitler. The people are going to cry out, we want Churchill. He's the one guy that has spoken truth the entire while. So Churchill is brought into the prime minister position in the darkest hour. May 13th of 1940 is not a time that anyone in their right mind would ever want to become prime minister of a country, let alone Great Britain which is standing alone against this malevolent power because France is going to fall in that exact time period uh, like a house of cards. And then when 
Operation Barbarossa happens, which is the attack of Germany on Soviet Russia, which is likely Germany's greatest mistake, uh, other than Japan's bombing of Pearl Harbor. It ranks up there in World War II as the dumbest moves uh, in the war. He's going to bring in Stalin. Stalin will then ally with Great Britain, and then because of Pearl Harbor, you have the big three are formed, United States, Great Britain, and Soviet Russia. But even in that, it's interesting because the only guy standing against uh, the, the Germans in the beginning was Churchill. But now we have these other two that have more powerful nations, more powerful manufacturing, a bigger budget to work with. And as a result, Churchill's voice is going to be diminished. And I feel it throughout the war. It's like this strange thing. It's like, hey, wait a minute, I've been around the whole time. And it's, it's an interesting feeling that I've gone through in this. And even in the end, as we see the United, when Franklin Roosevelt dies, and Truman comes in. Truman, his advisors are just saying, this guy's a kook. Don't follow him. We need friendship with the Soviet Union. And so what you see is, once again, Churchill's going to become the outsider. And I haven't gotten to this yet, but I've hinted, spoiler alert, Churchill's in an election right now. And the, in Great Britain, they love Churchill. Yeah, but we don't have a war to fight. And he's a wartime leader. And so they are going to vote him out 11 days before the end of the war. This guy that literally has carried this nation and the world on his shoulders and been crushed by it. At the very end of his memoirs, you literally see this man, this hero, this lion, literally sort of put in a cage again. It's a very interesting study just from the Winston Churchill lens. And he's very gracious, very British in how he handles it, but I feel a certain pain in it because he sees his own country returning to their vomit. He sees the same mistake happening again, and he is right. This was written very early, 1948, and the Cold War that is going to ensue, the Iron Curtain that is going to hang for generations. I mean, he was right, just like he was right about Hitler. So it's quite profound to read this. So the vomit. You know that we have some of that today that we could return to too? And I'm going to say November 2020, desires for safety and a quiet life. Yep, we have it. I mean, one of the number one challenges of COVID-19, I think, for many of us, is it's messed up our life. It's messed up our rhythm. We have certain things that we got used to, and it's sort of stirring up our nest. We don't really like that. And at the same time, I'm not going to say that it's good, that I want to cheer on more of the lockdowns. I have, I'm not a fan of these lockdowns. At the same time, it's very easy to see how we function as Americans. We, our desire isn't always for truth. Give me the truth about COVID-19, even though some people would definitely want that right now. It's we want our life back. We want our rhythms back. I want to be able to go to Starbucks without you know, having to just go through the drive-thru, you know, that type of a thing. We want it the way it was before. I want to be able to go to a, a, a theater and be able to watch a musical, you know, that type of a thing, as opposed to, oh, all of them are shut down for the next year. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. Why are we upset about that? Is that some great spiritual thing for us? Is sitting in a Starbucks some great important thing for our soul? No. It's exposing the fact that we want our life back. Are we willing, as the church of Jesus Christ, to give up our life as we know it? To literally have the entire routine of our existence thrown out of whack so that we could stand firmly for Jesus Christ? 
that we'd be willing to sell all that we have, that we'd be willing to go wherever he asks us to go. Isn't this classic Christianity? Isn't this what it's always been about? And I think every single one of us has to freshly come to that place because we are in danger of returning to our vomit. When we go passive, when we start appeasing evil and just looking for a peace treaty between us and Hitler, that's exactly what Hitler was trying to bait Great Britain into in the beginning. He knew that Great Britain was the only country that could stand against him at the time. So he's trying to woo them into a peace treaty. But it's a false peace, and Hitler and Churchill knew that. If you make peace with the devil, the devil's always, he's not going to keep his end of it. He just wants you to disarm. And if he can get you to disarm, he's got you. Don't negotiate a peace treaty with the devil. Paul the Apostle, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Gregorio. Keep your eyes wide open. Be ready. James the Apostle, James 4, 17. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. There are certain things that we need to be sensitive to right now where we know what we ought to be doing. And some, sometimes, like I think for me, I struggle because there's certain things I know to do, right? I'm here preaching the gospel right now, preaching the word of truth right now. So I'm going to keep doing that. However, there's other things I don't know to do. It's like, God, do you want me to do something else? Is there something else I'm supposed to do because I'm ready to do it? But when you know what you ought to do, that's what you're responsible for. And for us, I'd say that every single one of us, almost like a reset button, are we doing what we know we're supposed to be doing? If we knew we were supposed to be praying, well, are we praying? If we knew that we were supposed to be sharing the gospel or the truth with those around us, are we doing it? In other words, we need to activate at the most basic level the micro-functions of Christianity. We cannot just hope that good things happen in this world when we, on the small level, are not willing to just obey God and to do what we're supposed to do. We don't need to let this defeated foe put us under his thumb ever again. So last time I checked, the enemy is defeated. One good thing about the kingdom of heaven is that God is the I am which means who he was, he is, and who he is, he always will be. His truth is constant. He defeated our enemy. That means our enemy is still defeated. We need to remember that, that we actually have the upper hand in this battle. The devil wants to con us into thinking that we are the helpless ones, when in actuality, though we are weak in and of ourselves, we're like sheep in front of a wolf pack. We have a shepherd who is greater than that wolf pack. And as a result, as we submit to our shepherd, we will not fear the wolf pack. In fact, God even equips us as sheep to bleat out towards that wolf pack to get out of town in the name of our shepherd. In other words, we have authority over the wolf pack in the name of our shepherd. We need to exert that now. We do not need to let this defeated foe put us under his thumb ever again. Right now, this nation is experiencing real trauma because an ancient foe, an ancient possessor of this country wants it back. Well, just like in your life, if you guys remember being ruled by sin and then you're set free by Jesus, you'll notice that sin, the old man, the flesh, the demonic powers don't give up. They keep knocking. They keep coming back. However, Christianity 101, you have authority over that one that's trying to get back in the door. 
push them back in the name of Jesus. We have the name of Jesus to wield right now. Let's wield it. John the Apostle in 1 John 4, verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Every one of us has a tension that we're experiencing right now in our own way. Some of us may smile at the tension a little quicker than others, but we are all in a position where we are being asked by God to be available at a greater level. If I was in the military, I would understand if I was called up into active duty what that would mean. I think right now we have a call into active duty that it's a greater measure of givenness right now than maybe we are familiar with prior. And that's when we are touched to return to vomits, to self-justify, to say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. There are other people praying. I heard about a, a national prayer call on Zoom that you know I, I didn't participate in it, but someone else I'm sure did. I'm just so glad the church is praying out there instead of all of us rising up. Could you imagine if every soldier was, that was called to active duty came up with a reason to stay at home? Okay, you wouldn't have much of a military force, would you? But what if every single one that was called responded? Well, you have a world that has changed. That's where our individual responsibility is. Our job is to say yes. That's our job. Our job isn't to self-justify and to come up with reasons why we're just glad someone else is doing it. But, you know, that's really not our style. You know, I'm, I'm more of a Starbucks sitting sort of guy. I, that's where I do my warfare as opposed to in the actual real world. In other words, we need to be ready right here, right now, to say yes. Let's do it. Father, here's our yes. We set it before you. We don't know what you want of us, Lord Jesus, or maybe we do. Maybe there's some out there that know exactly what they're supposed to do right now and they haven't been doing it. They've been pausing. They've been justifying. But Lord, give them the grace to step forward and to do it. But Lord, many of us are in an in-between zone where we're being readied by your Holy Spirit to do something in an active duty sense that is greater than what we've ever been asked to do before. And Lord Jesus, we want to say yes to that even though we're not exactly sure what that is. We need grace for this, Lord. This is not something we can do in our own strength. And that's the amazing thing about your military campaign is it's a campaign that is in your power. You're the one that does the fighting. Our job is to simply allow you to do it through us. Here we are, Lord. Use us for your glory, for your honor, for your praise. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.